This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to Get Psyched, everyone. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I have chills even thinking about introing today's guest and today's topic. I'm sitting down with one of my closest friends, Jeremy Miller, that I met when I was working in addiction treatment. Jeremy has been a counselor for years and worked in the treatment space for over a decade. Him and I can riff on and on about trauma and theories and addiction, and it would have been really easy to make today's show all about addiction treatment. But... In true Jeremy and Lindsay fashion, we didn't do that. Jeremy got beyond vulnerable and shared his adoption story. Jeremy spent over 30 years looking for his adoptive family and then after finding them, shares the story with us. Honestly, you guys, it was like watching a movie. Jeremy is such a storyteller and to have him tell something that is so close to home, that is his, that is his lived experience and share it with me was so beautiful and I can't wait to share it with you. If you're interested in shows about trauma, about psychedelics, about deeper knowing, check out the Worth the Fight podcast. It is part of the Soulfire fam and the host, Matt, absolutely crushes it. He has guests from all walks of life that share their story and most importantly, share their strength. So if you love this show, you're for sure going to love Worth the Fight podcast. Be sure to head over and subscribe to that show today. While you're over there subscribing, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for today's show because it helps me continue to get guests like Jeremy and everyone else I've had on the show on for repeat episodes. Please, 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 I read every rating and review. They warm my heart. And of course, without further ado, I'll see you on the other side. That story, you know, uh, it's it's this weird thing because the more I tell it, mm-hmm. t- to me it's not crazy because it happened to me. And because I'm the one with the lived experience, I just tell it like, oh, yeah, so this is what happened, you know. But people are like, what? So maybe we're on to something there, you we know. We might be on. And I think that you are also, when I think of like, we think like anthropologically of how things got passed down through storytelling yeah i'm like you know what our ancestors missed out on the fact that jeremy miller was not the one telling the story that's 100 percent true i live for stories fitlands and uh actually uh when i was working at the outpatient program in los gatos Mm -hmm. i wrote a 12-week curriculum based on joseph campbell's work the hero's journey Mm -hmm. and um Anyway, so I ended up reading all his books, um, like The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Have you read that book? Mm -hmm. Dude. And um, just the power of story. And I was like, oh, my God. And you could imagine how much that resonated with me, the storytelling. Um, But that being said, um, where should we start with the adoption stuff? Well, let's start first with just who you are. Who I am. Who I am. Who is Jeremy Miller? Wow, that is a question uh, that I try not to answer, but rather live in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but if I had to give uh, kind of an overview, the cliff notes of Jeremy Miller, I would say that uh, I'm an addiction counselor that 
advocates for mental health and recovery from anything and everything that was causing life to feel like too much. Mm-hmm. And um, so I spent 10 years uh, in, in a treatment program after having gotten sober myself and uh, kind of worked my way up in the program and then realized 10 years later that uh, I was being called to support the industry as a whole rather than one program. I felt like my efforts were really singular at a program, whereas I was really uh, feeling this deep sense of compassion for kind of the game as a whole, you know, and um, the journey, the hero's journey, one might say. That's right. Exactly. And, you know, I wanted to meet more people and everybody uh, that I were all my colleagues are amazing people and it and I always wanted to help more people and um and I just found myself really longing for that. It also uh kind of came to a head when I went through my own dark night of the soul and and started awakening to my ego and all these things at play spiritually and I got really hungry for more knowledge of who I'm here to be mm-hmm. and uh and who and what I am. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what kind of catapulted my journey into uh, spirituality and my work with TJ Woodward at Conscious Recovery and, um, and you know, my freelance stuff. So now, now my work revolves around things I'm really passionate about, and that gets me juiced. As it should. Yeah. You know, one thing that when we talk, talk Dark Night of the Soul, um, one thing that was really, really clear to me was... Well, first off, listeners, Jeremy and I met both working in addiction recovery. That's right. Yeah. And now here we are on the other side of it. Years later. Doing things different. Yeah. Um, And my launch into working in recovery in retrospect, I didn't, at the time I was like, I'm going to save lives. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do all these things. It's going to be so awesome. A thousand percent fueled by my ego. Mm Mm-hmm. I, Lindsay, am going to change lives, <laughs> and that makes me feel good. Yep. You getting sober is a byproduct of making me feel good. That's right. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Was that... I remember sitting in a class during my master's and then talking about counter-transference, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you're like attracted to your client, or <laughs> your shit comes up in the room, and they're like... <sighs> you ever start helping someone and realize how much it's like fueling you? Yeah. And it's not about your client anymore. And I was like, <clears throat> nah, no. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> I've never felt that. <laughs> um, and that that kind of, you know, as woke as I wanted to be in my early 20s, mm-hmm. that definitely shot me into another direction of like, oh, there's so much more to learn here. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that was huge for me too. I mean, for years it was 50% about them and 50% about me. And in recovery, you know, we're called to, uh, to service work, mm-hmm. right? Like in the 12 step, no matter what modality you go through to get sober, there's some sort of element of giving back of service. And, um, at the time, you know, when I, when I kind of started detaching from ego and realizing that I am the observer of what's happening, I rec- I, I went into a lot of guilt and shame about the perspectives I would take early on in my counseling days. Mm. And, but then I recognized that really it, it did serve me and it served them too, because early on in recovery, we're not aware of all this stuff yet. And if I had been, would I have been a better counselor? Maybe, 
Um, but at the time, it's what I needed to experience to evolve as a counselor mm-hmm. to better hold space for the people I'm with. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that's, you know, all of that was part of this dark night of the soul, this realization, like, I woke up one day and I was like, oh my God, who the fuck am I, you know? And that ties in a lot to, you know, meeting my birth family and being adopted. All that stuff kind of just poured out all at the same time. And it got crazy. Perfect segue. See that? I know. Yeah. It's like you have a podcast or something. Or I'm like natural. you talk for a yeah. living. <laughs> so going through the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. finding your adoptive family. Yeah. What was that like? What was that process? Well, uh, I'll, I'll start with how it all happened. Because Paint me a picture. It, it's pretty incredible. Um, and uh, so I was adopted and I was a baby. So I was adopted. Uh, I was uh, almost uh, six weeks old, I think, just mm-hmm. under two months. And um, so when I turned 10, uh, my birth family wrote my adopted family a letter. And it was my birth mom that wrote it. And um, that's when my parents sat me down and explained to me that I was adopted and what that meant. And as a 10 year old kid, uh, it didn't really mean a whole lot at the time. It wasn't like a big deal. It was like, Oh, cool. Like you may have other brothers and sisters out there, you know? And, uh, so anyways, I get this letter and I was adopted through the Catholic church. Mm. It was a closed adoption. So we didn't know where they were or their last names. Uh, all we had were first names and the letter they sent and the photos they attached, right? Uh, literally attached, not like a, an, an attachment in the digital realm. <laughs> there were little, little photographs back then. and um, You couldn't just upload it, add a hashtag? I think we could have faxed it maybe, but you know that's kind of where we were at at the time. Perfect. Um, but uh, so we wrote back mm-hmm. and, um, and that was it. We never heard back. And so... When I turned uh, 16 or 17, I started getting more curious about it. My adopted family uh, always wanted me to meet my birth family. And then uh, when I was 20, my sister, who was also adopted, um, she was adopted from Paraguay, in fact. My wow. parents went and you know scooped her up from over there and brought her back. And, uh, and we found her birth family within a week of looking. We flew to South America. We did a, a whole two-week tour and met her birth family, and it was incredible. And, uh, and I was totally enamored by the whole thing. I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. This is great. And I was pissed because mm. I didn't have the same thing. And in the States, uh, it would have been thousands of dollars to try and find them. And because I was adopted so long ago, uh, you know, there, it's literally paper files in a box in a warehouse somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of lost hope for a long time. And through my late teens and early 20s, I had a, the photo of my birth mom and I would look at it all the time and just wonder. And, you know, and then I hit the age where I realized that, uh, and I'll, I'll say this cautiously, so just hear me out here, but I realized that I was a mistake in the sense that they had me very young, put me up for adoption, had two more children and kept them. Mm. And so obviously that had a lot of feelings. There were a lot of feelings around that. Um, But until 
my early 30s, I'm 34 now, uh, I would shove all that shit into the shadow, right? So when people would ask me, oh, you're adopted. Wow, what's that like? I'd be like, it's not a big deal. I'd play it off all the time. I'd never even knew that I had feelings because I'd push them so deep right. down. And um, so then in my when I turned 30, I really started looking. And uh, I mean, I'm looking for... For, uh, I, I have their first name, and in this letter, I knew that they were on the East Coast. That's all I had. Mm-hmm. So searching for them was super easy. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, cool, there they are. You know, no, it took years, right? And I even had like hacker friends that are like, dude, I'm gonna find them, you know, and they, they'd go on this quest and still couldn't do it, right? And so I'd, I'd look on and off for for years, right, and then. Uh, I went and met up with one of my friends. Her name is Roxanne. She's got a great podcast, the Spiritualist Fuck or whatever podcast. And uh, it's her and my buddy Joe, Santa Cruz locals. They're awesome. Love Joe. Yeah. And um, so I meet up with Roxanne and she's a witch. Okay. She's the only one I know or that I know of. And uh, we're talking about generational trauma. Mm -hmm. And she asked me about my generational trauma. And I said, well, Roxanne, that's a big question mark because I don't know my family. And she leaned in and she said, I think you should look again. And I said, Roxanne, you don't get it, dude. I've looked so many times, like blah, blah. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I think you should look again. And Roxanne has a very powerful way of presence. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go look again, you know? And so I pulled the letters out and all the pictures that I have, and I'm just kind of looking at them, just being with them. And my birth brother, his name is Nova, right? So it's a pretty unique name. Right. And he also had uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, okay, which is a very specific type of muscular dystrophy. And so anyways, I'm, I'm like thinking, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I start Googling about muscular dystrophy, right? And I find out that the average age people make it to uh, is pretty young, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, teens at most. Mm-hmm. And so then it got a little interesting because I, I thought, well, just based on what I'm reading, I would be very surprised if he was still alive. And so I thought maybe I should look for an obituary. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm reading this letter over and over and I knew that they were in, at one point they were in, um, Mississippi. Okay. They were cruising around the South over there. And, um, they also moved all the time, which made it even harder. So I, I started looking, uh, I knew when I knew that he was three years younger than I was. So if he passed, I had a little bit of a window Mm -hmm. as to when he might've passed away. So I started looking at for obituaries in that time in all these places in the South, right? And um, sure enough, like 20 minutes into this search, I find his obituary. Holy smokes. Yeah, holy smokes is right. I have chills. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm 20 minutes into this. I'd looked for years, for hours and days. And this time, for whatever reason, 20 minutes, I find his obituary. I'd never thought to look for, I, I never thought to, to follow those breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. right? And so I see the obituary and I'm hit with this wave of sadness and grief and 
confusion and excitement because in that obituary were everybody's names mm. first and last. So then I'm like, Oh my God, this is like my first real lead ever. And, uh, so I text my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, you're, you're never going to believe this, but I found my birth brother and she starts freaking out. And so then I, I take, uh, my birth family's names and I start plugging them into Facebook and Google and I'm, you know, but I mean, their names are not, they're very common names. Like my birth dad's name was Steve Martin, not the comedian, <laughs> but would also be on brand. But if it, it was, it would make sense if it was, <laughs> uh, but it's not the comedian. And my sister's name, for example, is Maria Martin. Right. And so I'm like looking in Joplin is where they lived. So I'm looking all over, you know, Georgia, Mississippi, everywhere over there. I can't find anything. So then I'm like, well, I feel like they probably got divorced. I don't know why, but I feel that way. And maybe my birth mom moved back to Colorado where I was born. So I start looking for her, my birth dad and my birth sister in Colorado. And I'm scrolling Facebook, like literally bottom of the phone to the top, just scrolling, right? And I stop and it was my birth sister and I knew her face, even though the only photos I had of her were when she was a little baby, I knew it was her. So I click her profile and I'm like, Oh my God, that has to be her. She's got movie posters and bands and all this stuff, just like me. And our faces are like, we're so obviously sibling siblings, right? And so then I'm like, Oh my God, like, and the truth is that I really I wanted to find them all, but finding my birth mom was kind of the, that was the trophy. That was the big one. And so I'm looking through and I find my birth dad and I click on his profile. And, uh, and the first video I watch is him playing guitar. I'm a musician. And in the letter they wrote to my parents, they said their only request was to get me into music because every generation on the male, the men's side of the family, each generation gets stronger and stronger with music. And so it's him playing guitar and we look the exact same lens glasses, the beard, you know, the like every, he's wearing a star Wars t-shirt. I'm not making it up. And for, for the audience, for those that don't know, I'm obsessed with star Wars. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of a, and, um, and so I find him and I'm like, oh my God, but I just want to find my birth mom, you know? And so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, boom, there she is. So then I full on freak out, right? I'm like pacing the house, like crying, losing my shit, right? And I'm like, I got to write a message. So I sit down and I write a really, I mean, I wrote like the perfect message. I'm not trying to gloat, but it was very compassionate, very sensitive and aware that this is going to be a lot. Me just popping up like, Hey, hey. what's up? I'm your kid, you know? Uh, and so I sent it to her and I'm sitting there like a, like I'm 15 years old who just texted a girl that I liked her and I'm just, I'm checking my phone, like seeing if, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I'm getting nothing. Right. So then, uh, I'm like, all right, well maybe I'll send it to my birth dad. So I send it to him and he reads it immediately and my stomach drops, dude. I'm like, oh my God. And then I see the bubbles and then he sends me a text like 10 minutes later, uh, a message. I mean, on Facebook, 10 minutes later, the bubbles I'm watching for 10 minutes, Linz. That's the longest 10 minutes. 
It was a long 10 minutes. Dude. That's longer than a microwave one minute. That's longer than a five minute plank. You know what I mean? I, I feel you. So finally he writes me back and he basically said uh, that he fell onto the floor crying. And that he had to like pull himself together and call my birth mom, who also just completely lost it. And she is not good with computers and got locked out of Facebook like two years prior. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, so she never got my message. And, uh, and so he's, you know, he's saying, uh, he, we're just freaking out to each other. And I actually recorded me reading the message for the first time just because I wanted that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and for uh, other adoptees to see at some, some point, you know, and, um, so we're, we're messaging and my birth man, birth mom is messaging me through Steve, my birth dad. And, uh, and then they, they give me, uh, her phone number and we start texting and she's just losing it. And, uh, she basically says that, you know, she's been praying for this day every day since my adoption. And, uh, so I call my adopted family. I tell them like, you guys are never going to believe this. I tell my ex-girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time, she freaks out. Everyone's freaking out. And then I, I call them both the next day. And that's where it got really crazy because as soon as she answered in her voice, I was like, that's me. Mm. I hear me. And Growing up, I had a very distant relationship with my mother because I don't, I mean, there's a, the list of why is eternal, right? But we never had a, a very close bond. I remember being a little kid and seeing uh, other kids, you know, hugging their moms and leaning on their moms like this, you know, and, and I never had that with my mom and I always wanted that. And the truth is, and, and I know how this sounds, and I, I try to be very careful not to, you know, hurt anybody's feelings, obviously, but the, tr the truth is that I'd never known the true power of a mother's love. Mm. Not really, you know. And my parents are incredible. They loved me, and they didn't have to. And that, that, that says a lot, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And I'm very aware that it is just different. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And so when she answered the phone and I heard her voice for the first time, my heart just, it felt like it had lifted out of my chest in a way that I'd never really felt before. And, um, and we talked for four hours and I told her about my whole life and we were asking each other all these questions and, and then I called my birth dad and, you know, we talked and my birth sister is very shy uh, I think I got most of the outgoing genes. <laughs> and so she was a little bit more reserved. We, we texted for a while first and, and kind of eased her into it. And um, coincidentally, at the time that I had found them, uh, three weeks later, Steve, my birth dad, had a trip planned to Colorado to see Maria, my birth sister. And they said, why don't you come out and meet us? And I was like, pfft done. So I bought a plane ticket and, um, I brought my, my girlfriend at the time for support and because like, what the hell? Right. And, um, 
So we fly out and arrange a meeting. And um, we got the whole thing on video, by the way, the whole reuniting video we got on lock. And so um, we meet at this restaurant and I walk in and my birth mom uh, is just standing there and, and I walk in and she just grabs my face and we just lock eyes and it was like everything stopped and we were just in it i don't even know how long and you know then i'm hugging my birth dad and my birth sister and we're all crying and so nervous like i'd never been so anxious in my life right um but the it's it's the, the little things that really matter and they all had star wars shirts on you know and it was like, and we all had, I always wear a thermal under my tees. Yeah. They all had thermals on. It, and we didn't plan that. Right. You know, it just happened. And, um, and that's how we met. And uh, it was probably the most emotionally intense experience of my life. I can't think of anything uh, that's happened that comes close to that. And um, we ended up spending four days together and... Uh, and I got a lot of information that was beautiful at the time that hurt a lot later and is still beautiful now. Um, like for example, my birth mom, she was with me a lot in the hospital, but I also spent a lot of time alone in the hospital, which knowing what I know now clinically explains a lot about how I attach to people. Mm -hmm. And, um, I almost died when she was giving birth. And uh, was in the NICU and all this stuff. And a lot of her family members would kind of cycle in and out of seeing me and holding me. And um, But she she told me a lot. There were a lot of really powerful one-liners. Too many for one podcast, but I'll give a few. And uh, the one that stood out to me the most uh, was that when she would hold me, she would say, I love you over and over and over. And her hope was that I would remember to fill the time between when I went with the other family and found her again. And that's pretty intense to be with, you know. Uh, and that's how I found them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the first time on a podcast that I ever have just been kind of dumbfounded and not known what to say next. It's kind of a lot, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, of course, the, the, all the romance aside... Uh, you know, I did learn that both of them, cause I, I remember in my mind, I'm I'm thinking to myself, which one of you guys is the addict, right? Because I'm looking at them and I'm trying to see who I got what from. And, uh, I got my chicken legs from my birth dad. It's all his fault. And my birth mom is like a total scrapper, dude. You know, like she's super rowdy and feisty and I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense, you know? <laughs> um, but in the back of my mind, I'm wondering which one was the addict because I knew there, there was one and it turns out it was both. And, um, my birth dad with alcohol and my birth mom with harder drugs. And when I found that out with, with Steve, it was clear right away. He was throwing them back. Right. And, and I knew because that was me before I went to treatment, mm. you know? And so piecing together all those little things was very intense uh, but also part of why I was there. And, um, so then I come home and I ended up getting my birth dad into treatment for alcohol addiction, wow. uh, less than three months later. 
and that was intense in its own way. Um, but I got him into a program and I think he did 45 days. Um, and you know, and that was awesome for him. I think it was his first real shot at it. And so we're, we're still kind of working out some kinks and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I met my, my grandma who, you know, uh, just, it was her dying wish to meet me before she leaves and she's close, you know, so I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And the whole family came over. They all knew me. They had pictures of them holding me and all this stuff. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was intense. It was intense. So I'm, I'm going to put some, some of that content out there when the time is right so that people can watch us reuniting and see the pictures. And I, I got nice photos of the letters and you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So knowing what you know now about attachment, yeah. and knowing what you know now about addiction, mm -hmm. <laughs> was there ever a moment when, because my brain, to be completely candid, goes to, I wonder how the attachment wounding led to potential addiction, right? Yeah. Or how this early childhood trauma showed mm -hmm. up and perhaps manifested as, as addiction. Yeah. And your mind went to, okay, genetically, mm -hmm. right? Or epigenetically, even, yeah. mm -hmm. how did this happen? Mm -hmm. So knowing what you know and knowing nature versus nurture, do you feel as though your personal encounter with addiction was more of like the nature versus nurture or was it attachment mm. or was, what do you find? I, I think it's all of the above. I think, um, my adopted family, uh, my dad was very successful in business. His whole side of the family is lawyers, doctors. They own law firms, plenty of money. Uh, my mom's side, a lot of military discipline, uh, you know, moral fiber. We, we grind, we work. And my parents were a very clear representation of that energy, mm -hmm. whereas I was not that way at all. I was very, um, I wasn't much good at school growing up. I wanted, you know, I was, a. I, I tried sports for a little while, but I was a skater kid. I wanted to skateboard and mess around with my friends and I was rebellious and, uh, and so I, I always felt out of place mm. and, uh, and that was at school too. I got bullied like crazy, just never felt like, uh, like I was where I was supposed to be. And I think that was a big part of it. And I think where the attachment shows up is that uh, I've never, you know, I'm 34, I'm single, never married, no kids. And when I look at that, knowing what I know now of the adoption and what I know of attachment and the mind and the heart and soul and all this stuff, what I see in myself is... Um, for the first two months that I was here, I almost didn't make it. And then I spent a lot of that time alone. And I'm a very outgoing social person. I love people. And I'm most comfortable when I'm by myself, which mm -hmm. is surprising to the people closest to me, but it's true. And so in relationship, the way it shows up is I will love someone so deeply, but I only let them love me so much. And there's always a little bit of distance because I've never let that distance go away. I've never let someone all the way in. 
And I know now that a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, my birth dad, he wasn't there when I was born. He, he told me it was cause he couldn't confront it, uh, confront the idea of putting me up for adoption. My birth mom, however, told me that he had split when he found out she was pregnant in the first place. Mm. And I'm glad that I was adopted. My life would not be what it is had I not been. But I know that there's some emotional wounds there, some scarring around that. And um, that's been a lot of my work lately. My inner work is trying to kind of sift through that stuff and, uh, and see what little Jeremy inside needs to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, where for all of my life, I had kind of put that off to the side. I shut that out. Mm-hmm. One of the things I warn most of my clients, all of my clients really about is first, it starts with like massive amounts of validation. Hey, like you walked through these doors. Mm -hmm. There's a desire to know more of you. And that's incredible. Validate, validate, validate. Yep. Immediately (laughs) followed up by, and odds are this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Hell yeah. Yep. Got to make a mess before you can clean it up. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that darkness, the, the shadow, if you will, the things that we're going to dive into have been in the shadows for a really long time and were put there so we could get to where we are today. That's right. So we can honor the fact that like there's so much shame mm-hmm. and people are like, why? Why did I wake up at 30 and decide that? Now I I could heal this stuff. Mm. And it's like, well, because you weren't ready, right? Take it back to the beginning of why wasn't I the the woke counselor that I could be at the beginning? That's right. There's no way. No, and I I think that that exact thing right there, Lens, is why I did not find them, right? When, When I met with Roxanne and she leaned in and she said, by the way, when I called her and I told her, I said, Roxanne, dude, you're part of this. Right. She lost her mind, you know. Um, But if I had found them any sooner than I did, I would not have handled it as well as I did for their sake and my own. When when I met them, I had done so much of my own work that I was able to hold space for the crazy amount of highly intense emotions flying around the room. Had I met them 10 years prior, oh my God, it would have been a complete disaster. Had I met them uh, before I got sober, oh, forget it. Like we would have just been getting totally fucked up the whole time, right? right? And and so I, I don't believe necessarily that everything happens for a reason. That just seems like too much to think about for me. But what I know is that the things that have happened in my life happened at the right time. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this, like so many other things that I have trauma around, uh, it was just one more way for me to say, wow, like what can I do with all this and what can I do? How can I take all this and use it to fuel who I'm here to really be? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, after I found them and I, I posted on Facebook about it and, you know, people were just commenting and messaging me and most of the messages I got were from people who were also adopted 
that didn't find their birth family or found their birth family and got the door slammed in their face. Mm. And, and I was able to really hold space for them, not, you know, advise them or count, but just hold a really loving container having spent so long wondering about my birth family, then finding them. And then after I came home, realized once all the, the romance kind of fell off and I took off the, the, the rose colored glasses that there was a shit ton of pain that I had never looked at. I didn't even know it was there. Mm -hmm. And I think that it happened when it did so that I could do something useful with that personally and, you know, uh, out of service. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and as it stands now, um, you know, we have a good relationship. It's just, um, it's up and down. It ebbs and flows, you know. Um, and I'm seeing all of their trauma and all of their... <laughs> you know, like after the nostalgia is gone and it, we're left with just who we are, it's kind of like, well, now what? Oh, well, now we have to build a relationship just like anybody else would who just met. And, uh, and that's tricky, you know? Yeah. How do you balance the innate knowing, right? <laughs> that mm -hmm. moment when I locked eyes with my mom mm -hmm. and time and space stopped. Mm-hmm. How do you balance an innate knowing? It's, uh, that's a great question because that has been the real challenge of it all is like, you know, because essentially what's happening, like, and, and the client that shows up at your door at 30 and says, why did I wait? It's like, my belief is that we don't really get going until 30, right? Our 20s are for us to kind of fuck around and see and learn the hard way what we don't want what we don't need what doesn't serve so that in our 30s we can focus on what does you know and so as i'm in my 30s i'm already starting to process my trauma from my adopted family right with my adopted sister now i've got all this other trauma and i can't and how do i know what's from who at what time and like all this shit right and so uh to point towards your question of balancing that innate knowing and, oh my God, I don't even know you. Um, I try and remain curious. And what that looks like in practicality is, you know, the last time I went home, it was not my favorite trip. It was not good. I mean, you and I, I actually, you. yeah, we linked up. <laughs> yeah. And that was the highlight of my trip, believe it or not, because I went there during election week I did not think that through. I did not either. And they, um, politically, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like Connor, politically homeless, right? I don't know. Shouts I don't, out to Connor. Yeah, Connor is the man, <laughs> dude. I love his politics because that's exactly what resonates with me, is that everybody's losing their shit and everyone needs to just chill out, you know? So when I go to my birth family's house, they are very, very far left, very, very liberal, which I, I'm left-leaning, but it was... You can't spend this much time in Santa Cruz and not yeah, pick not up be, some right? of it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I got the hippie rubbing off on me, right? But... We call that patchouli. Yeah, I smell it. I feel it. <laughs> uh, but when I'm there, they're just... They're, it's so intense. And I'm just trying to be with them. But it's like all this hatred and intense. So we got in our first fights. And, um, and, and so I'm really taking a long time to get to your question, but that's okay. That's what we're here for. But the, w how I balance it is reminding myself that deep down, 
just like me, there is this beautiful little being that is complete and perfect. And there's all these layers, right? And I have layers too. And when I notice ego coming up, um, when I notice the pain body, right? Like Eckhart Tolle speaks to in a new earth. Great book. If you haven't read it, my favorite book of all time. Um, but I, I can recognize when that stuff's in the room for myself too. And that was the only saving grace in that trip because, you know, at one point my birth mom who drinks a little too much, uh, you know, she's tied one on one night and she's telling me her life story for the 10th time. And I found myself getting so pissed. And in that moment, it was near impossible for me to remember that innate knowing that you spoke to mm. that first moment. And so what I have to do is just kind of detach myself from the moment, which sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I have to just remind myself that there is no perfect family, that there is no perfect mom, that there is no, uh, you know, it's not the way it is in the movies. And the reason I love movies so much is because I didn't have anything modeled for me mm. as a child. I learned everything from movies. And so I built this idea of family, unfortunately, on the fucking movies. So my expectation would never be met anyway. I mean, you love Star Wars. It's true. It's a <laughs> fucked up family, might not be dude. the best family. <laughs> That's so true, dude. Yeah, I have... <laughs> more in common with the Skywalkers than I'd like to admit, you know? Uh, but, and so it's just a matter of, uh, I, I don't try and bring balance to it, like giving each one equal attention, more of like, um, like I read in this book, uh, The 12-Week Year, great book, um, but they talk about intentional imbalance, mm -hmm. right? Like there, there's, it's never gonna be all equal, and trying to make it equal is kind of a futile effort, you know? And so it's more about intentionally placing more attention on what needs attention, knowing that this other thing will be okay for in the meantime. And so when I'm in the shit with my birth family and it's ugly and dark and painful, I know that I need to put my attention there right now. And that on the other side of it, I will tune back into that initial... Uh, moment that I had with her and and I have to do that quite often because frankly like you know having met them and it's been a little over a year now it is it is very painful it's it's very mm -hmm. confusing and and tough to process and so I, I have to drop back into that moment as a reminder of what's really there because all the pain all the BS those are just the layers. That moment that we shared, right? There was a moment in the car where I, I finally lost it. Because when we first met, I didn't cry very hard. I was more nervous and fucking like overwhelmed. And, you know, the next day we were in the car, just her and I, and I lost it. And she put her hand on my arm. And I felt immediately in that moment like everything was okay. I'd never felt that before. She said, Jeremy, everything's going to be okay. And I believed it. And for anyone who knows me, they know I'm a pain in the ass to like <laughs> support yeah, and console because I'm resistant to everything, right? Um, and so I, I purposefully drop back into those moments 
to remind myself that that is in our essence. That's what we are, who we are, right? Everything else is just kind of the layers and the result of things that happened, but it's not who we really are or what we really are. And, and so I think that's how I kind of manage all that stuff. I'm about to get really woo. Oh, that's my favorite. I know it is. Yeah, let's go there. So some make the argument or have the hypothesis that as we are celestial beings, Mm -hmm. we pick our parents, right? And whether you align with that or you don't, stick with me for the the sake of the argument. Yeah, we'll track with you here. I might argue that because what you're what you are describing first off hats off to you for how you are navigating it because even the most seasoned <laughs> woke enlightened mm. individual mm-hmm. it's a lot to hold and a lot to carry amen thank you you're welcome and i might argue that the reason that you're able to navigate it in the way in which you do is because that that is a part of your purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Bringing it back to the beginning of this conversation, back to the beginning of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. There's not another single soul being on this planet that could navigate it the way in which you're navigating. Thank you, Lynn. That is one hell of a compliment. And um, very grateful for that. Thank you. And it's very coincidental that you mentioned that because... uh, I think we're past coincidences. I know, right? We've decided yeah. that there's a greater, greater plan. There's something here. else at play here. Um, but when I think about uh, the way I found them, the way I was googling, and how did that thought to look for the obituary, like how it all ha- it was as though uh, something else was guiding me, mm. guiding my hand, and I believe that it was Nova. And my birth parents all believe that too. And they told me, independent of each other, and they, they do not have a good relationship, so I know they didn't coordinate their stories, right? <laughs> but they told me, independently of each other, that they believed that if I came back, it would be Nova's doing. And so we all have this realization, independent of each other. And when my birth mom told me about how I entered this world, uh, me almost dying in the hospital was actually the second time I almost didn't come here in this fashion, if you will, because before she was with my birth dad, uh, she was in love with another man. And uh, she took uh, a weekend to stay with her mother And she was going to use that time to decide, right? Which man am I going to be with, right? I've got Steve over here and I've got this other guy over here, James. And uh, so she took two days. And so Monday, she's driving back to uh, where they live in Colorado. And on her way, she found out that James, the night before, had been in a fatal car accident. And she told me that she was on her way back to be with James. So after she learned that James had passed in this fatal car accident, she went with Steve. I was born 
less than a year later. So that's pretty crazy when you think about it. And when I was processing a lot of this with my girlfriend at the time, we're still like best friends, so it's not weird or anything, but when I was processing all this with her, you know, she got tears in her eyes and she said, this, it was supposed to happen this way. All of it. Like you and your adopted family, you and your birth family, Steve, Marie, like everything, Nova, like it all lined up in a way that leads me to believe that you're probably right, Lens, that there is a divine presence, whatever you want to call it, however you want to look at it. Uh, I've never been much of like a God guy, but I'm definitely uh, aware that there is, you know, one energy that's got us all connected. You know, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars guy, for God's sakes, you know. Uh, but I see this experience proved to me that there is divine energy propelling us through life and that the way this all happened was very intentional and I don't know where that came from or what it'll look like 10 years from now but in the moment I'm very aware of the fact that none of this happened by chance or accident and that's got me pretty curious I think that would get just about anyone pretty curious I would hope so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so as you are now sifting through the muck, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Sitting in the shadows, knowing that there is enlightenment woven through this fine silk, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. What does the work look like? Yeah, that, well, that's a great question. Um, at the moment... Um, it's interesting because I, I want to continue working with a therapist, but I refuse to do it over Zoom. Mm -hmm. I can't do it over Zoom. And um, energy is a big deal for me. I need to be with someone to know they're with me and not, you know. And so uh, as, as things with COVID shift and we're doing more in-person stuff, that, that's definitely on the docket. And that's kind of item number one. Um, and I found a few that are that are that work specifically with adoptees, um, and so in the meantime, um, I've been annoyingly curious about all this stuff, and I've been processing a lot with my adopted sister actually, because uh, you know she and I have a, a very special bond. I'm closer with her than anybody, family-wise. And um, we've been processing a lot of this shit, and that's been super helpful. The other thing is that um, I kind of doubled down on my own education, uh, and not so much with like traditional psych stuff, um, but like I've been reading a lot of like Pia Melody stuff. She's got a book on codependence that I'm like a quarter of the way through, and it's phenomenal. Uh, and there's a workbook and it's like, oh my God, it's awesome. And so seeing my own codependence uh, mm -hmm. has been pretty illuminating, uh, which I, you know, <laughs> I try to deny, but th there it is. And um, so I've been doing a lot of that and um, I've been trying to 
really reach out to other people in a similar situation. So, um, I'm in process of writing the book and, you know, doing the YouTube series. And uh, I think my, the end game for that for me is really like, you know, the thought I have is that here I am, I have so many friends, I have this beautiful life. And yet there's this piece of me that feels so alone and it's deep, it's deep in there and it's not a very big piece, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what I'm hoping to do is foster uh, some sort of community around, uh, you know, we may not have had mom and dad, but hey, we got each other and let's talk about it. And so uh, that's kind of what I'm working on in the background right now. And that just in itself uh, helps me process the pain because it makes the pain then I can take a product from it. Right. There's some purpose in it. Yeah. I can say, wow, that shit hurts and it sucked and it's beautiful. And this is all so confusing and I don't know what to do with it. So instead of sitting here doing nothing about it, which I also do, and there is also value in, uh, but it helps my mind if I can say, well, look at what I got out of it though. Look at what I can give from it. And so there's, if I look at myself in two parts, the be and the do, the do is fostering that community, which is going great so far. And the be is remaining curious, tuned into what I'm feeling, witnessing it, not embodying it. And that's kind of the work. So if people want to get involved with those groups, yeah. read the eventual book that comes out, see what you have to say about any Star Wars, anything yeah. that has to happen. How do people yeah. get a hold of you? How do people work with you? Best place uh, to do that is just find me on Instagram, jeremymiller.co. Um, if you were adopted, just DM me and um, we'll chat. I love it. I, I've, I've got like eight or nine people now that we're all talking regularly. Uh, and that's been a blast. And what we create with that is I have not seen yet, but it's coming. Um, and then, uh, yeah, otherwise, I think um, for all other inquiries, if you will, uh, <laughs> just Instagram. Yeah, that's the best place. Awesome. We'll link all of it. Jeremy, thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. Super proud of you, dude. Thanks. <laughs>